podcast for wine lovers and the wine curious, where we get to know the people behind the label of some of your favorite bottles and help you discover some new favorites too. People often say wine is like art in the glass. Well, on our show today, a vintner who's combined her artistic and winemaking talents into a bountiful and beautiful career. Darcy Kent has helped to shape the modern Livermore Valley wine scene with her tireless efforts, not only at her own successful winery, but also helping to share and promote the Livermore Valley wine region and its wine scene with others. Darcy is a fifth-generation winemaker who, as she puts it, has both paint and wine running through her veins. She is a gifted artist and a talented winemaker and also a really good person. We met Darcy years ago during our TV days, and we are so happy to have her join us today on Sip Sip Hooray. We are, of course, the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. I'm Mary Orlin. We first met Darcy Kent, her husband David, and daughters Kaylin and Amanda more than 20 years ago, hard to believe, when we filmed a story with her for our NBC TV show in Wine Country. Then the subject was wine, but it was also about her interior decorating skills, and she gave us some fantastic tips. We remember her daughters being very young and into their own art projects at the time. Back then, Darcy was almost famous and on her way in wine, and she started it all with a single variety, Merlot, and her own art as the label. Now, her girls have grown up into sixth-generation vintners, and the inspiration for one of Darcy's latest ventures, Almost Famous Wine Company. Darcy and her family have also developed a beautiful property with a 100-year-old red barn said to have been owned by a famous singer, which we'll discover later. Fast forward to today, we are here at the Darcy Kent Winery, in Livermore Valley, and we are so excited to be here to see you again, Darcy. Welcome to Sip Sip Hooray. Thank you. I am so delighted to welcome you guys back. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of changes there since has. we've yeah. been together, so I'm really excited to tell you about them. Good. You're going to need to catch me up because you are one busy person. I'm not really sure how you do it all. (laughs) I mean, seriously, how busy, how full are your days? Completely full. And um, thank God I have a great team, starting with my family, my husband, David, and my daughters, but also an incredible team here on the ground at Darcy Kent and at, at our new wine venture, Almost Famous Wine Company. And then also um, the community, you know, we're really supported by not only the, the, a great wine country community, but also by the city of Livermore, um, by the county of Alameda, you know, the Alameda County supervisors, um, and all the tourists who visit this area. So yeah, lots of support. Yeah, well, life is good in the Darcy Kent world. I just got to tell you, you you got it going on. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I love working in this industry. It is um, every single day. I'm excited to wake up and continue on the projects we're we're working towards. You know, 
Well, that is certainly something worth celebrating, and we're going to get off to a very quick start to wine tasting. Um, Darcy is going to be sharing her sparkling Gruner Vettlinger, which we're super excited to try. She's right now, you can't see, but wait for it. She, <laughs> she's working on that cork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not always an easy thing to do in like a we got it. <laughs> love that sound. Love well that done, sound. Darcy. So this is a sparkling Gruner Veltliner? It is. Tell me about that. Well, we started with Gruner Veltliner years ago. We bought it out of Monterey County. And in fact, this champ, the sparkling wine is out of Monterey County, King City. Um, and then we've also planted Gruner Veltliner here in within the Livermore Valley, and we're very excited about this. Um, but this, um, this So for is, people who don't know, a Veltliner, yeah. I, I know, I always say it wrong, but I, did I get that right? Was it yes, Veltliner? Okay, Veltliner. Good. Veltliner. Tell us a little bit about this and why you were interested in it. My family um, grew Gruner Veltliner in Switzerland. No way, really? Yeah, and then when we came over, when they came over in 1875, Gruner Veltliner was part of the... the cuttings that they brought with them and they planted their first vineyard with that um they um, julian halas who is my winemaker grew up on a gruner veltliner vineyard so So, um it just seemed like something we had to do it's in your dna yes it is well cheers to that cheers Cheers. to that oh that's great Mm, that's delicious it's fantastic and this is made in the traditional method of champagne the Method champenoise or traditional method. It is. Yeah. It is. It's um to me the, the Gruner Veltliner is just such a beautiful wine. It's incredibly aromatic. Um, and those aromatics really express themselves in the champagne or in the method champenoise, excuse me. And um, you know, I just I love what it brings to the, to this to the bubbly. Can you guys describe some of the flavor profiles of a Gruner Veltliner? there's a lot there's to me some real herbal qualities as well as fruit um i like you know there's almost a white pepper on it that i find is really intriguing um but not overpowering um that along with you know i i i I feel you know i feel more flower petal um than actual flowers and you like fruit trees and hibiscus. Um, I also think that it has some beautiful qualities of, you know, of, of a crisp apple or even a crisp peach, not a gushy peach, mm. but a white peach mm-hmm. that, you know, you can slice and it's pretty hard. Yeah. Um, at that stage, I think it really expresses that that's helpful. That's nice because you're right. It's not, it's not a heavy, sweet, heavy fruit. It's a light touch and it's really lovely and it feels great in your mouth. It does. It's very refreshing. I always like to think of Gruner and lime. I always get that nice backbone of acidity. And I think that lime zest is a really great way to express that or say that. I love that. And it's also it's um, it's known as the Green Hungarian is how it's translated, oh. um, and it's so it, saying green and a lime. I love <laughs> right? that yeah. connection. Oh, that's yes, so cool. That's cool. So, set the scene for our listeners. We know we're here in Livermore Valley, but 
How do you describe where your winery is located to someone who's never been to Livermore and then describe the property? Livermore is situated 45 miles due east of San Francisco. It's in Alameda County, which is the same county as Oakland. So we're a part of the urban city. You know, we have a huge population, not only to the west of us, um, with both of those cities, but San Jose to the south, um, Tracy, Modesto to the east, that w- there's a lot of commute traffic over the hill, and everybody comes over 580. 580 is four miles south of us. And they, like us, had no idea that this beautiful wine country was just simply four miles south. And when you get off the highway and and come into this rural setting of just beautiful hillsides that right now are very, very green. Incredibly um, green. (laughs) Like Dublin green. But also, you know, in the fall, they turn this gorgeous goldenrod yellow, and it's stunning with the green vines. And then as the vines change color, it's beautiful. But rolling hills that cascade up to taller peaks that um, some of our vineyards touch 1,200 feet, um, they most of them start above 600 feet. So we're actually quite high in elevation, um, and um, we get the warm, the cooling breezes from the bay that are very persistent. You um, felt them today as we were walking um, around the vineyard. It is a very important part of the winemaking process for us. Helps to cool down those grapes it in does. the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a huge diurnal swing here. Um, we move from you know forty degrees every single day. Um, and so that helps the grapes sh- grape shut down at night and keep their acidity. Mm-hmm. And it, it is just what contributes to us being such a great wine growing region. Well, not, to, not to mention great soils, you oh. know, clay and gravelly rock. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a really pretty wine country. It's gorgeous, too, just to look at. You know, as you said, you're not that far. You're part of Alameda County, but you're a world away in terms of uh, the difference between Oakland, which isn't that far, San Jose, which isn't that far, and Livermore, it's just, it's you, it's like a little slice of paradise. As you said, you come over the hill, it's like, ah, oh, it's yeah, really beautiful. It's really beautiful. <laughs> and then you come on to the Darcy Kent property. Tell us about this magical place. This is a beautiful property. It's um, a little over 13 and a half acres, and it was once owned by Bing Crosby. And the um, Red Barn, which we've now painted purple, um, is um, the, the last building that was here when he um, owned the property. So um, wow, we call it funny. Bing's Barn, just lovingly. Bing's Barn. So, yeah. What, how did Bing Crosby find Livermore Valley? He st- his family still um, own a great deal of property in this area. Wow. Um, his wife was here um, um, getting treatment. And um, at the hospital, and he was out, you know, visiting her and thought, you know, this is a great place. We get out of the cold San Francisco fog and, you know, this will be a nice place for us to have out here, you know, to hang out. So um, they bought this property and they they still own many properties um, all throughout the Bay Area. I did not know that. Yeah. All right, so you've been at this a while. Very Tell long. us your origin story of wine. You're a fifth generation? I am. My family um, grew grapes and made wine in Switzerland. They um, came over during the, the really um, a, a fam, you know, when there was the famine. Um, and 
a lot of people came over from their village of, um, there are several villages that they were from, but outside of um, Interlochen, all around Interlochen Lake. So they um, they came over, and my great-great-grandfather came um, and planted, Christian, and planted the vineyard in 1875. The rest of the family slowly trickled over, and more friends and family, and they opened the winery in the cellar of our of the family house in 1883. We were the 62nd bonded winery in the United States when they started bonding, but we were here before bonding began. Um, it ran continuously, even through prohibition. Well done. Um, <laughs> my my mom and dad, I my my mom and my uncle, my uncle's still alive and my aunt is still alive, and they still tell me stories of you know, getting a penny a bottle for washing the bottles and scrubbing those mm. labels off and oh. then refilling <laughs> the wine out of the barrels. Um, my great-great-grandfather um, painted murals on the walls and um, all around the cellar to, of scenes back in Attebolden and Interlochen and all, you know, the lake scenes. And my mom always used to express that it was such a shame because they closed the cellar off after he fell down the stairs and died. Mm. And my also one of my great aunts fell down the stairs mm. and also died. So they closed it off and wouldn't let anybody in there. Um, it was it was after prohibition. And the um, they so they built a new winery behind the house with a music hall. Really? And, um, yeah. <laughs> we'll explain the wow factor on that a little bit things, later. Things, things are coming full circle. Yeah, there's they a lot are. of them. They are. So, you know, it, it just, um, it, but that one piece of history came back um, several years ago when we opened up here at this property. So 10 years ago, um, we were here and I got a call from Fox News. And it was a gentleman out of Kansas City. And he said, I'm doing research on your family and I came across your name, and can you help me? Because I'm trying to do a little spot on your family history, family winery. And so, I, you know, I told him, gave him the addresses, told him about everything. And he actually went out to the property, met the owners who were the who bought it from our family, and talked to them, which is something I've never done, um, because there was so much sadness in the family over losing the winery that we just. And this was where? This is in Saint Joseph, Missouri. Ah. So it's about. 45 miles due north of Kansas City. Okay. So um, when the spot was going to air, um, he said to me, you know, this gentleman who owns the house, he wants to speak with you. Can I get trade your emails? So I talked. So I, we traded emails, and I watched the spot. And, you know, I, so I called up the, the owner, and I was talking to him. And, you know, we're talking back and forth. And he's like, wow, can you tell me about the murals? And I'm like, Where? And he said, in the cellar, you know, and I, it still brings me to tears, you know, it chokes me up. I said, you opened the cellar? And he said, yeah, it's my man cave. Oh, and gosh. I just, I, on the phone, I just yeah. said, can I come out? And I did. And, yeah. um, and Fox News heard of it. It became part two and part three. Oh, and, um, but fabulous. it was so amazing to be there and see the murals and then go upstairs and drink wine together. Oh, this um, is cool. You know, and that I brought and drink it in the kitchen just like my, you know, family Ooh, would have years ago. This gives me chills. Yeah. It's oh, great. It was very special. Oh, so so um, they um, were architects and artists, Christian, 
Um, and he painted his own wine labels. Mm. And they, of course, made the wine. And yeah. So was all that in the back of your mind as you were creating Darcy Kent? Yeah, and how did you decide you were going to do it too? Like, did, did you ever consider any other line of work? Not really. Um, <laughs> I mean, I started out, um, I was a sales rep and then a manager with Procter & Gamble. Mm-hmm. And um, once I um, I worked through Kaylin, but then when I got pregnant with Amanda two years later, I just decided it was time to be a mom and paint and paint and paint get get back to painting um because there wasn't there wasn't enough time in the world (laughs) so um (laughs) you know at that point um we decided um david got a job offer he was also with procter and gamble and he got a job offer out here to go um, work for the gallo wine company and to um develop their fine wine business because up until that point, the most expensive bottle of wine they sold was two ninety nine. Wow. wow! So in nineteen ninety, we moved out here to Modesto and started that division. And um, meanwhile, we um, lo- we were looking for a property where we could have our own vineyard, and we came across this vineyard in Livermore, and um, found out about it through Eric Wenty. Um, mm-hmm. And so Eric, we were on a trip together and standing in a snow bank in Stockholm in the winter, waiting for a cab that never (laughs) came. And we were telling him that we were looking for property up in El Dorado. And he's like, why don't you look at Livermore? And we said, yeah, that might make a whole lot of sense for us, you know, being closer to airports versus further. And so we came out the next weekend and met with Phil Wenty. And um, he showed us around the properties um, that they had available. They had um, made these 20-acre parcels to try to entice people to put their homes on the vineyards. And um, they, they're in a, it's in a conservancy um, and just to help preserve agriculture in this valley. It's, you know, this, this valley is so close and the, the land is very expensive. It's um, it would have been lost to homes in development right. had Alameda County and the Wentys um, not established this land land trust and really supported the wine country. So we're so grateful for that. We fell in love, um, bought the parcel, um, one of the parcels, and within that same week, so did Rhonda Wood, who you've also interviewed, and mm-hmm. um, many other. You know, there, there's ten neighbors. Right. And we have um, raised our children together and continue to really enjoy this amazing world. Speaking oh. of Rhonda, I remember after we finished filming at your place, we went to Rhonda's place just to meet her and say hello. And she was making wine in her garage, too. And yes. So look at how far both of you have come. We both started in our garages, that's for sure. And um, so I was, I, David always said I was living his dream because um, one of his co-workers, Chris Lynch, his wife, Brenda, was my first winemaker. And she really studied the wine side. I really studied the viticulture side. And we came together and um, sold 50 cases. The rest of the vineyard Woo-hoo. was sold um, to the Gallo Company. They okay. bought our fruit. Okay. Okay. Um, but allowed me to take off 50, um, enough for 50 cases every year to support a wine club. That I had started. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and so uh, we were kind of, Mary Orlin and I were going, ooh, ah, uh, when you were saying that your, was it grandfather painted the labels on his bottles mm-hmm. and had this art and wine connection, which you've continued. You're a talented artist. And one of the 
coolest things about all of your bottles is they feature your beautiful artwork. And these are stunning images of vines and I'm looking at four right now and they're just eye-poppingly beautiful. And I just think it's so cool that you have these uh, dual things going on, both the winemaking and the artwork, you know? I don't think I could live without either of them. <laughs> <laughs> the painting is really a Zen thing for me. It, it quiets my brain. And it's such an important aspect of my life to be able to do that. I've always wanted to do it. Um, it's just been, a, you know, when my mom asked my sisters, my older sisters and I, all at the age of 13, after, you know, five years of piano practice every single day and lessons, we had the choice to continue or to quit. And both my sisters continued. When I was asked the question, I said, I want to quit. And she's like, well, you have to have a good reason. And I said, well, my reason is that I want to spend that time painting and drawing um, and, and becoming an artist. And that's what I did. Good for you. Fantastic. Yeah. So you kept up something creative, but something that you were more passionate about. Yes. But work um, having the vineyards is an incredible accomp accompaniment. Um, it is very humbling to be in the wine industry. Mother Nature is an incredibly fickle business partner. And, and she's in charge. She's in charge. <laughs> and you and you must, you know, bend like a willow to to make changes and to address it. Um, not just not just environmentally, not just with the weather and the land, but it's also um, the the new generation. You know what what do people want to drink? How do they want to drink? How do they want to experience wine? How do you track them to your area? You well, know? you've come up with a pretty cool new plan. Uh, you want to tell us about it? The almost famous. Uh, we, aspect of yeah. the, the Darcy Kent world. <laughs> yeah. We're very excited about Almost Famous. That, um, that was born during COVID. Um, there, we were remodeling because we knew we had to move outside. Because you couldn't drink inside. You can't drink inside. So we um, were remodeling to, to the, uh, the barn, the purple barn. Mm -hmm. And um, that was going to be interior tasting for really windy days or um, really cold, rainy ones in the mm -hmm. winter. But for the rest of the time, people could be out on the terrace and green, which is gorgeous. You're surrounded by vineyards on all sides, and the views across the valley are spectacular. They are. We did a, night, a little walk around before we sat down to record, and it's just amazing. And I bet it's even more beautiful when the vines start leafing out. It, and it is. All times of year, it's really pretty. It's green year round, which mm -hmm. is odd because when the hillsides are brown, the vineyards green. When the vineyards mm -hmm. in dormancy or in fall colors, we're starting to get our rains and the grass is green. That's true. So it's really That's lovely. Um, yes. We get these beautiful, vibrant colors year round, which probably is the inspiration for my paintings. But well, um, I was going to yeah. ask you about that because um, one thing I've always loved about your art is how colorful it is. I can't paint subtly I'm not a very subtle person either um <laughs> but the, you know it's just as hard as I try I can't tone it down I just see the, the 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 bright colors I see the intensity of the colors um as I see the world and that's I just have to express that um with my art so I've done all the labels for Darcy Kent and we started expanding into new labels mm -hmm. And it was getting very, we were getting to have a lot of brands here. And um, 
and COVID hit. We, we were going outside. We needed someplace to store the case goods. So we rented um, a, a place over in Vasco Row, which is a kind of an urban wine area of our Livermore Valley. We have distilleries there, breweries, and a whole bunch of wineries. Um, it's kind of like the center of winemaking in Livermore. Yeah, it's it's a whole lot of fun down there. You know, we're all right next door to each other, and we help each other out and save each other's lives. And mm-hmm. you know, when accidents happen, and you know, it's it's a lot of fun. So um, we were down there and storing the grapes or storing the 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 wine in the in the case goods. And we, my husband David and I, just kept looking at this place, thinking you know, we should be a part of the Vasco Row and we should have a winery here. And he said, well, this would be the perfect time for us to split the brands and take Burgundy and Bordeaux to Darcy Kent, you know, with our, with my painting wines where I do the painting. And then all the new labels that are more um, Italian or, you know, there's just a whole bunch of other varietals. Um, Let's take those over to Almost Famous. Mm -hmm. So it was going to be a tasting room, but we kept looking at it as we were cleaning it out, and it seemed like it could be just such a great music venue, and we love music. And we thought, the one thing we don't have in this area, and the one thing that's being lost during COVID, is supporting singer-songwriters. So the venue only books singer-songwriters, but we have Grammy Award-winning artists, and uh, it's really gathering momentum and sells out almost every weekend. So it's called Almost Famous? It's called Almost Famous Wine Company. And tell me, so when you go there, what is it? What are you seeing? Is it like a, is it an indoor thing? Is it outdoor? It's all indoor. Mm -hmm. So inside a warehouse. Okay. And it's kind of got a Brooklyn vibe, you know, brick and dark walls and, you know, a big chalkboard wine bar, you know. So you you come into the front lounge, and that's what you see, brick and the bar and the chalkboard. And then um, the center room, when we open the, the big barn doors, opens into this very intimate music venue that's 186 seats. And it is such, it, I, what I didn't expect was the joy. And it's this Tommy Castro expressed it very well, and and he, he he just stopped one night when he was playing, and he said, "This is incredible because we we try as artists to bring this joy out to you, and then you all send it right back out to us." You know, there's very precious few venues like this where there's this kind of connection with the artists, with the audience. Well, I can attest to that because last night I joined you at Almost Famous. And there was a local band playing the Mondays. They were fantastic. But what really struck me was the energy and the excitement. And there was this vibrancy to the whole scene. And I was like, I've never seen Livermore Valley like this, especially at night. And it was really, really just such a great place to be. And um, one question for you, the name, Almost Famous. Did that come from the movie? No. We love the movie. Yeah. But no, um, it was because all these wines, we just kept teasing ourselves as we were almost famous, you know, and, <laughs> and we're booking these bands who are, for the most part, almost famous. You nice. know, they're trying to get out there. And so the, the name just kind of stuck. Our yeah. daughter, Amanda, um, really coined the name. You know, she's like, why don't we use it? And 
um, I think Kaylin, my oldest daughter, said, "Well, we get in trouble, you know." And um, it, but we, it, because it's completely a different yeah. genre, mm-hmm. so um, it. yeah, it's wine and. And you've got a, a pretty special stage, I heard. We do. Um, pr- it was made by, um, designed and installed by BP Productions. And they also did the lighting and the sound was done by Third Ear. So very, very professional uh, production companies who do outside lands and, uh, you know, the, the outdoor rock concerts at Harvey's and, yeah. you know, and they're just bottle rock and yeah, Napa. Napa. Um, so, um, it was tr- quite a joy to work with, um, BP productions. Billy, um, is actually a dear friend, the brother of a dear friend of mine. And that's how I was connected with him. And I went to him and said, Billy, um, do you think you might be interested in doing this or could guide me to somebody who might be? And he's like, man, I kill to do small venues. You know, it is such a blast to design for that. And so he came down and we came to um, up with a great design and we're thrilled with it. And people are, are responding. Yes. Yay. And the, oh, okay. man, the music's great. And um, it's taken a while. Um, of course, we opened right during the COVID resurge when they shut everything down again. <laughs> well, just to give our listeners an idea and to entice you to visit Almost Famous Wine Company, We've got a clip we'll play right now. So fun. I'm so happy you guys are doing this. I think it's such a great opportunity to bring people to Livermore, to bring people to the winery and introduce people to your your wines. I know it's not at the winery, but just in the fact that you're just kind of sharing what's great about Livermore and bringing perhaps a different audience, you know, and a young one too, which is super fun. It is. That's one of the real challenges right now, I think. Um, I mean, we have many challenges for the Livermore area. It is an... Er- you know, pretty much in the heart of an urban area. Um, it's, it, thank God our supervisors really care to preserve this agriculture area. It does perform such an amazing, it, it's an amazing function because it helps to separate the cities mm-hmm. and it helps to create a fire break between the cities because of wanting to, you know, the vineyards don't, they don't burn very easily. So the um, the vineyards are a great fire break, yes. and it's nice to have green a green area in between. But um, the vineyards are expensive to plant here because the land is very expensive. Um, we are um, enjoying right now a a renaissance in a way. Um, the wine country is experiencing a lot of great um, new prospects that. Um, we've been working on for years, but they're just happening. Like we're going to get a sewer, which is incredibly important. <laughs> but and getting off. Septic I did fields. not expect you to say that. Like so, but that is so critical <laughs> because that's going to allow us then to have a resort hotel, yeah, and a lot of amenities that currently we cannot have because we don't have a sewer. Wow, we're okay. all on septic, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so, no, I wouldn't have thought that this. Explains some things. Yeah. You know, why hasn't Livermore Valley? 
taken off more is a wine region because the wines are beautiful. You just poured us your Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. And um, this is Sauvignon Blanc. It's a variety that has always done so well here in Livermore and so unique to the profile, the taste aroma profile is very unique, a sense of place. But why hasn't it taken off more? So not being able to build the infrastructure you need to support visitors, not just day trippers, but visitors who want to come spend a weekend in Livermore. Right. So the the largest um, hotel we've been able to have is similar to where you're staying at Purple Orchid Inn, which is a lovely inn. But, it, you know, when you can only get eight rooms at an inn, you're not going to build your tourism. So we also um, got approved for a hotel downtown. Um, once the sewer's in, we'll be putting in a resort hotel down this way. Um, they're the wine country, due to Mother Nature, thank you, um, we're getting cooler. Um, as the Central Valley is getting warmer, it's bringing in the winds and the fog deeper, longer. So we've actually moved from a cool Region 4 to a warm Region 3. And that um, is allowing us to plant new varietals. As um, the new generation comes up as wine um, consumers, mm-hmm. they don't want just to drink Chard and Cab mm-hmm. and Merlot. Right. Um, you know, it's it, they want new varietals. They so. want something that their parents or grandparents weren't drinking. Exactly. Yeah. Sauvignon Blanc is one of those varietals who, that's really benefiting from this gl- climate change. Um, and yes, it is a historic grape, but it never was a, I mean, it, it kind of died with my generation. Um, our grandparents drank it, but my, my generation didn't drink it that much. Um, this Sauvignon Blanc um, in the Livermore Valley is the one that blew the Paris expedition, exposition out of the water right. by winning the, the best wine, and white that wine. was back in... 18 mm, or whatever. Late 1800s. And I think one thing people don't know about Livermore Valley is the history here that started really life as a grape growing region in the 1950s. And um, the Winties and the Concannons are families that are still around. Well, and Cresta Blanca was here and Ravenswood. And, you know, these were all up and running in the 1880s. But these wines really made their mark on the international wine scene, winning these international wine awards. And you know, so there is a strong heritage that, you know, has um, for for some reason gotten lost in the shadow of other wine regions. Mm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the the Sauvignon Blanc we harvested it last fall, um, and it we bottled it in December, and the aromatics on this oh. <laughs> off the charts. Yeah, are off the best nose ever. I, I you know I, I always wait for the first you know there's always a bottle that breaks or a bottle that tips over on the bottling line and I look forward to that because then the entire room is perfume <laughs> <laughs> from from that variety you know so from, the, from you know, the wine. I, I think um, some people don't like Sauvignon Blanc because it smells very grassy or super herb like you think of Sauvignon Blanc from Mar- Marlborough in yes. um, New Zealand. But this is just so floral. Well, it's yeah. a different clone. Yes. So it's a Sauvignon musk clone. Wow. And mm-hmm. that is what makes the big difference. And now every 
we're, most of the new vineyard plantings that are going into Sauvignon Blanc are going with the Sauvignon Musk clone. And it is just a, oh my goodness, it's a glorious, mm-hmm. you know, smelling wine. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. um, you want to try first? Well, I think it smells like honeysuckle and I like that. gardenia, all the, you know, jasmine. Yeah, and it's just, you know, all these, it's a bouquet of white flowers, basically. Sure, I think I get that too, and yeah. And then, on, then on when you taste it, there's a lot of grapefruit and citrus fruits. It's just really beautiful. It has, you know, it's very zippy and lively and kind of dances on your, on your tongue. I like all of that. I can't improve <laughs> on any of that. I love try. It. Yeah, it's I a try. beautiful wine. I it love is, what you've done yeah. with this but, one. But um, the Mesc clone, the, it's also known as Mesquet, and um, I have seen it in other wine regions, not so much here in Livermore Valley, so I'm excited that you're doing this. Yeah. I think it's um, it, it just is such a beautiful wine. We gr- It grows here very well. It's happy here. Um, it the canopy is just naturally controlled very well, um, and the you know you the the cluster count it's it just it self regulates itself. It's happy here, mm-hmm. um, so I just think we're um, it loves our really cold nights. Um, it loves the the warm bright days, and it just oh man, I love this grape. It's so do I. It is a good and one. I think you can tell when you taste a wine if it's happy in the region it's made. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you nailed this one. You know, you mentioned when you were talking about uh, the Almost Famous Project, how uh, your daughter, Amanda, came up with the name? Yes. And I was thinking back to when we uh, shot a story with you for In Wine Country, and I was interviewing you, and I remember, I don't know if it was um, which daughter it was, but I remember the kids were sleeping on the sleeping porch back then. They were kids. They were, you know, young, maybe young teens, if that. Right. You know, and I... Middle school. Yeah. And now they're, are they working with you now at the winery? They are. And um, it's incredible to have them with us. Um, And it's brand new. I mean, Kaylin has been with us for several years. She went out on the road um, and started selling. Then she went into the winery and was doing winemaking, and now she's doing her real passion, which is the marketing, website, um, ad creativity, um, creation, that kind of thing. So she she does that, but she does um, she comes and lives here every fall um, on the property and does help with harvest um, as well as now doing you know all of the the marketing side and creative side. Amanda's joining us. For the first time this month. Oh, terrific. So we get her a, a little bit of her time. She still um, is a consultant with um, Bain. Um, and she um, gives us, she's able to give us a little bit of time. And she's, we're able to use her incredible Bain analytic skills to help us. And it's been phenomenal. Um, she really helped us turn around Almost Famous and figure out what was working and what wasn't. Because it's, um, it's, it. We knew nothing about music um, <laughs> and how to run a music venue, but she she was able to figure it out just by studying the numbers. Wow. Well, it's a completely different business model, I'm sure, from winemaking, or is it? You know, there's some similarities, but um, it is it is very different. Um, you know, um, 
bringing in these these different services to, or these different amenities to attract a new generation of wine drinkers mm-hmm. um, has been pretty cool. We we did receive a lot of blowback in the beginning of we can't have beer here, and no, you can't um, because of you know the licensing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're a winery, you can't serve beer. Um, so we we just. We, weren't positive that was going to happen. We thought we were going to make it as a tasting room over there, but really what happened is it became a music venue and people are very intrigued and and enjoying the wines and we're getting zero feedback now about, you know, Dia beer. <laughs> great. Great. Well, that's that's great to hear because, you know, there's a a lot of concern in the wine industry about Gen Z and mm-hmm. millennials not drinking wine and choosing spirits and beer over that so well done that you are succeeding with that there's a lot of very interesting wines there to choose from from um, our wine without borders you know rosé of grenache um, and albarino um, the sauvignon blanc is there as well um, not to mention our primitivo which continues to win um, the best zinfandel um, in California every year after year with that Primitivo. And you're giving back with some of these wines. I'm thinking Wine Without Borders. Is that the one? Did I read about this? Wine Without Borders. That's one of the labels. Um, and the one we're really having a lot of fun with because it's our vehicle to introduce under, kind of under underknown varietals to the world with. So the Gruner Veltliner goes in there, um, Albarino, Primitivo, you know, the Deriff is going to go in there. Um, yeah. That's great. Yeah. And you also have another label, Dog Day Chardonnay. Dog Day Chardonnay and Dog Day Cabernet. They, um, all these wines have a give back component and Dog Day was born in order to give back to rescue societies. And um, to date we've given back over hundred thousand dollars just to these charities um for for to rescue animals um horses dogs and Mm. you know all kinds of animals so wine without borders right now is going to ukraine um to doctors without borders oh perfect that's a perfect fit oh that's great we also have fire pit um they're all red varietals and pistachio lane its sister has all white varietals and um, then there's Loyal to the Soil, um, which is our, a Cabernet, Bing's Barn, um, and Strong Silent Type, which is <laughs> Cab Franc, which is a great descriptor. <laughs> and each of our my family members, Dave did Wine Without Borders and did the label. Kaylin did Strong Silent Type. And Amanda did Almost Famous. Yeah, so I was going to say, who comes up with these great names? Yeah, it's, it's really a group effort. My nephew did Loyal to the so- Soil. <laughs> When he came I to do that. the murals and, uh-huh. and help us get that venue started up. Um, so yeah, but Cab Franc is the, is the other, I is the other varietal that um, now that, you know, with climate change and our soil profile, these gravelly soils, the, the clay Cab Franc is another happy, happy vine here. Well, let's get to that in a little bit because um before we go to red, there's one more white I'd love for us to taste and talk about. This is our DeMaio Chardonnay. And this has been one of our, um, when we expanded out of only being Merlot, um, we purchased the, the grapes. We went on a long-term contract with our neighbors. Um, and their, their name was DeMaio. 
Um, and so it was the DeMaio Chardonnay. So this wine, um, it, I'm very proud of. It was one of, it was a great experience. It was selected by Michelle Obama to be poured at the 100th anniversary of the First Lady's Luncheon in Washington. Hey, and that's an honor. That is really amazing. It was a really special event. I was able to bring my daughters. I No way, you got to go? I got to go. <gasps> and we got to meet Michelle and have time with her. And when they opened the doors, as we walked in, every waiter was holding a bottle of the DeMaio. And it it was so incredible. And it was the only wine served during the lunch. Wow. And it was just incredible to to have it there and have it be there. Um, that's a mind-blowing okay, experience. That, that means you're not almost famous. Yeah, I know. That's like legit now. famous. <laughs> It was it was incredible. Um, it was amazing to have the girls there um, and have that experience with them. They, I, my mom passed away when she was fifty, and um, I would have loved for her to have been there. And I think she was, mm -hmm. because during while they we all sat down and were having wine, and then they sat the the head table, um, and. As they were seating the head table, the Marine Corps band struck up a tune that I never hear, which is called um, um, The Wave. Sorry, I'm like, what is it? The wind, the rain, it's The Wave. <laughs> um, and it was my mom's favorite song. Really? And my Aww. daughters both knew it. And they said to me, at the, all of a sudden, they struck up the song, and my Amanda whips her head around to me and she says, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> and of course, I burst into tears Dang. because it felt like, you know, my I'm getting mom. getting misty just hearing oh, the story. How how my mom was there with me. How could you, you not know? cry? It was, it, that cool. was incredible. Oh. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's so interesting how the, it comes full circle. Mm -hmm. um, we had a, um, a inner or our family heritage was done by Wells Fargo Bank um, not too long ago. They, we were selected. You have to apply. You have to be a member of the bank. You have to apply. They select you and they, they, they have a full team of historians who go back and, and do your history way back to whenever. And we learned so many amazing things um, about our family. But one of the cool things was the night... The morning they arrived, they showed me this Gothic German article that my that Christian had wrote, and he was writing back to his hometown paper talking about phylloxera and what we were doing and what we were doing in in America and what they, um, you know, what they could help with in Switzerland, and um, so in that in that article they had nobody who could translate Gothic German. Mm -hmm. And they finally, the day before, they got an intern who could read and write Gothic German. So this gal translated it really quick, and they gave it to me that morning. I'm going to continue to make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> She's seen me wipe away the tears because of the story about the mom and the wave. But um, in Amanda, while she was an intern um, at the wine group, that she had created a tagline for Darcy Kent Wines, mm -hmm. which was the art of the vine. And um, so my my the, in the translation of this Gothic German article, I'm reading down through it, and I'm reading at the end where he's saying, you know, despite all the troubles with with phylloxera, the art of the vine, 
a great profession. Oh. And, you know, it's just so cool to see oh. these things come full circle, wow. you know, and, and to have that. Wow. So I do really, amazing. I feel the support oh. of so many generations behind me. Yes. Uh, Separated. That's that. beautiful. That oh, I love that. And this is a beautiful wine. And, um, you know, I don't, let's just say oaked Chardonnays are not my favorite, but there's something about this wine that I love. And it's t- it's ch- changed a bit from the first time you all had it, which we were putting it into the Canton barrels out of Missouri. Um, but we've switched to take it to 100% French oak. And um, it's really good. I can see why Michelle Obama liked it and chose yeah. it. It is, it's really, a, a, I just, there's, there's so many things I love about this wine, but um, to me, there's, there's just that beautiful, it's, there's the vineyard when, when it's um, ready to be harvested, the berries have different flavors um, and they, they taste like apple and sometimes a little hint of pineapple Mm -hmm. um the berries do and and it's so amazing to taste the berries and and have it translate so cleanly to the wine Mm -hmm. um you make the wine in the vineyard and it it just has an incredible um sense of place when you can just let the wine Beautiful. be made in the vineyard. And Julian Halaz, our winemaker, does a, an extraordinary job of allowing the vineyards to shine through. Oh, he's, yeah. This is excellent. It's gorgeous. So now we can go on to red. And All right. While you're pouring this, um, one thing I learned about you last night is that you love to cook, and cooking is kind of a family affair. Can it you is. Tell us about this. The family, the daughters really love to cook. And I'm so pleased that they do. And they love music, too, which makes me very happy. Yeah. Um, And we're always trading recipes. We create recipes um, for our club release every every quarter. And we're the three of us, um, and Julian, he, our winemaker, is a phenomenal cook and brings so many interesting um, uh, meals from Hungary. And that, and we cook over harvest too. When we're all here all day long harvesting and s- sorting the fruit, Julian and I and Kaylin um, all take turns cooking. You're feeding everybody. Yeah, that's great. So from everything from a Hungarian goulash to chicken pepper cash yeah. to I do my white chili. Mm. Um, you know, we we do grilled oysters um you know as we get later into the season it's a lot of fun Uh, please come um because it 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 is just a really um exhausting but incredibly fulfilling thing to do yeah all right so what do we have here this we have our stone patch cab franc um and this is a brand not a brand new varietal at all but a very under planted varietal um we we put in a acre and a half 10 years ago in it. I've never seen a happier vineyard in my entire life. It just put out the best canopy. It put out the perfect amount of fruit. It just is happy. You do so little to it and it's a happy vineyard. And we started falling in love with it. Um, it's, um, spicier than a Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, it is, uh, the fruit, I, the fruit profile. I'm going to let you describe it well, <laughs> because I, I don't want to put words into your mouth. But um, I just, 
I'm just crazy about Cap Franc. This is so good. It's kind of got a, a, a velvet touch to it. It's really yeah, soft. It, I love it. It is. Well, it's it's um, Cabernet Sauvignon's softer cousin in a way. And um, what I love about Cap Franc, and this is really beautiful, the violets, just in the nose, the aroma, it's just so pretty. And then you get some blue fruit, like blueberries, some black plum. It's more plummy than it is, say, blackberry which I really love. And um, with Cabernet Franc, um, one of the characteristics of the grape, and I think it just comes from how you manage it in the vineyard and winery, is there's oftentimes a green pepper note, which some people may like, some people don't. I don't get a hint of that here. I just get this beautiful symphony of fruit and flowers and silkiness. Mm-hmm. The um, the thing the two things we do to really remove that green note, um, which I'm not a big fan of, um, and one of those is um, the long hang time we're able to get without having the alcohol the the sugar level rise yeah. because of you know the cold days um, cold nights warm days so we get some bright fruit notes that come out but then it shuts down every night keeps the acidity. Mm-hmm. So we can hang it a little bit till those seeds are really, really ripe, and getting those seeds crunchy and nutty flavored, and the the, the exposure of the juice to those seeds um, at that versus when they're more bitter and green makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we sort three times. It's sorted in the oh, vineyards okay. as as it's harvested. So um, the, the the picking crew which is more women than men, typically, um, they Good will gals. pick the bins and throw them onto a sorting table that's spread over to tea bins, which are large white bins. And um, they we we stand on, on, on the side as we're going through the vineyard, and we're just pulling out all the leaves. And then we scoot the grapes into the bin, and mm. then we get more, you know, grapes dumped on the table mm. as we go through. Um, then we, when it comes to the winery, we're sorting again um, out of the those tea bins, any extra leaves, anything we see. But then it goes through up the ladder, through the crusher distemmer, and onto the table. Um, and it, I mean, it's a distemmer; it's not crushing anything, but it's removing the stems from the fruit. At that point, we have eight people on a sorting table that is a shaker table. Right. And mm-hmm. so that thing shakes and vibrates, and we're we're picking out everything, a tiny stem attached to the grape, mm-hmm. um, yeah. leaves, um, anything that's not a grape. And but, it makes a huge, well, huge difference. What wow. a tremendous attention to detail. Absolutely. It's, and, and, and the proof is in the pudding. The wine yeah, is great. Is it's a lot of fun. Yeah. We have a lot of fun visitors come. <laughs> Darcy, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is your a new venture you've got going that's a bit of a um, a pivot from wine. You want to tell us about <laughs> another the project? pivot? Yeah, yeah, the next door project. Here? Yeah, next door to us, we opened up a dispensary, and it was a long project. Um, it happened all during COVID. There was one license left in Alameda County for a dispensary, and we went to the supervisors and said to them, you know, we we need more visitor attracting agricultural products and you know in this valley um, this is an agricultural product we there's no other dispensary within miles and miles and miles we're the only one in the in the tri valley um, you have to go all the way over to oakland to get one um, but 
we just really believe in the product as well. And um, we believed we wanted it because we wanted to support the industry. Um, it is a valuable tool. And um, I can't wait till it's federally approved so it can be um, studied for the great benefits that people receive, um, such as for me, my arthritis. It has made my arthritis pain 10% of what it used to be. Um, which is phenomenal. And I'm able to sleep so much better. I was able to get off of sleep medications mm-hmm. be, and because I used to have a lot of pain with sleep. So now mm-hmm. I don't need to do that. And um, the combination of CBD and THC is amazing. So um, really support the industry. We rallied um, for the last license to be made available to the South Livermore Valley area plan, which is what these wineries fall within in the Livermore Valley. And um, so when we were able to do that, we let them know very transparently, if, if you make it available, we will apply. And us, along with many other people, applied um, for the license. And um, through a very long process um, that took well over a year, um, we were able to open last October. So What's the response been? Unbelievable. Yay, good. Um, yeah, and a lot, and, and it's just bringing a lot of people to the valley that have never been here before, and they're, you know, they're learning about, they're seeing the vineyards, you know, day right. in and day out, and what happens, they're becoming curious, they're coming in to taste wine. When it's a beautiful, we, we walked in earlier, and it's a great space, it's so clean and uh, beautifully done inside, and the customers we saw are, you know, I think the whole marijuana culture of old has changed. And this is a clean, lovely, um, a great place to come come sit. You have like a little couch area. There's a, a kind of like you'd walk up to the tasting bar, but instead there's people t- um, talking to you about which product might be best for your needs. Like if you're not sleeping well, if you have pain, which um, marijuana product would be the best thing for you. And I saw... I, what looked like uh, grandmas and professional women, professional adults. It's not um, it's not a stony spot, so to speak. It you know isn't. what I mean? It's been incredible. I'm blown away by the amount of people my age and older mm-hmm. who are embracing it. But hey, we were the hippies of the 60s. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it's not foreign to to my generation, right? Well, it's not wine, but it is about um, making, enjoying your best life, right? Yes. And um, they have had some private industry events where they've wanted to explore this. And it's interesting to learn about it. The um, the terpenes really do provide different flavors, and and trying to and as and there's now psalm classes or you know um, yeah. kind of the psalms of the cannabis world, and they've been out here and tasted wines with us as well, and it's interesting to hear them talk as they compare it to different terpenes in in their products. So it's been fun to um, learn that and get more familiar with the industry. But it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a very um, relaxed place. It's a place you can come and ask questions and really um, feel very comfortable at. Yeah, and how do you see that coexisting with wine? Because that's a question a lot of people have. How, you know, they're both controlled substances. And how do you manage having one, 
both on the same property and do they intermingle? Are there rules about this? You know, that's actually where being in the industry with a controlled substance and all the regulations that are involved has helped us because we understand how to to work in that world. Um, so, yeah, no, it felt very natural to, to have both. Um, they're on two separate parcels. Um, they do um, share a driveway. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a, a really good, uh, much more harmonious um, thing that then, I mean, we were hoping for it, but it's nice to see it in reality. Um, you know, I just love seeing all kinds of agriculture in this area pop up from olive oil producers to um, farm to table kind of operations that supply vegetables and fruit for everybody to um, the breweries and hop farms. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's so many new businesses popping up um, all up and down this road, and it's really lovely to see that. What are the biggest changes you have seen in the ba- past 20 years or so in Livermore? I think it's the next generation. Um, the the change the biggest change and such a delightful change is all of our kids are now coming into the business and running the business yeah um, and that's really fun and it's also it's um, there's a lot of diversity in the valley um, there are you know so many wineries and restaurants and businesses of every nationality you know people of all around the world. Um, have places here and it's just so delightful um to have incredible food um as well as incredible um explorations into you know different cultures so that's the biggest change and it's so lovely that our kids uh, not only kaylin and amanda are in the business now but um you know steve and kent mirasu um Aiden is now part of the program. Um, Phil Long, Philip is part of, you know, the winery. Um, Heather McGrail is part, you know, taking it over from Jim and Ginger. Um, Harrison Wood taking from Rhonda Wood. Um, we're not gone yet. No, you know, all the parents are still here, but we're just having a blast working with our kids. True, and those younger Wenties as well. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> Allie, Nikki, yeah, Jordan, right, um, right. Carl, um, so Christine. You know, they're. It's inc- you know we're we're having a very fun time together, all of us. It's a strong community. We're all very good friends, and I love that part about the Livermore Valley. Well, you have been such a proponent of this valley. You've worked so hard here in Livermore Valley, as I said, not only on Darcy Kent, but on kind of a rising tide lifts all boats. And you are the queen of let's rise, let's let's raise the tide here. And I love that. And I just want to thank you so much for spending the time with us. I think your ancestors would be so proud of you and what you've done. The art of the vine lives on, and I'm so happy for you and all your new projects. So, uh, Darcy Kent, cheers to yes, you. Cheers to you. Cheers. Big sip, sip, hooray. Sip, sip, hooray, Darcy. Thanks. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that if you enjoy our Sip Sip Hooray podcast, you'll share it with your friends and you'll tell other people about us. And also you'll leave us a comment on our either our social media or on our website. 
Absolutely. Whatever platform, podcast platform you're listening to us on, please go in, give us a rating, hopefully five stars, and um, leave us a comment of what if you love something, if you had a question about something, what you learned. We want to engage with you. It's a two-way conversation between you, me, and Mary Babbitt. Um, so find us on social media. We are at Sip Sip Hooray Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And our website is Sip Sip Hooray Podcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes we've ever done. You can go back and binge on them for the ones you haven't <laughs> listened to yet. We hope um, you find something that you really enjoy listening to. Our goal is to keep bringing you great stories about interesting people in the world of wine and some of the new trends, some of the things going on in the wine world. So keep coming back to Sip Sip Hooray podcast. Well, Mary Babbitt, cheers to you. Sip Sip Hooray. Sip Sip Hooray, Mary Orlin. Cheers. Cheers.